This is the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of PlantYourself.com, the Big Change Program with Josh Lajani and WellStartHealth.com with Olivia Kelly, Boyana Yankovic, and soon a cast of thousands. This podcast is part of my mission to help you live a terrific and transformational life. So a quick word about that new addition to my resume, WellStartHealth. So, you know, Josh and I have been doing the Big Change program for a year and a half now, and we've helped dozens of people. About 60 so far have gone through the program, and many have seen incredible changes in their lives, in their weight, in their health, in their mood, in their attitude. A lot of people have become runners, other kinds of athletes, have changed jobs that were no longer satisfactory. It really is big change. And we figured if we could ramp up the marketing, get a little bit more efficient, put some systems in place, get some help, we could probably help about 500 people a year total. And that would be a really nice lifestyle business for us. And 500 people is nothing to sneeze at. But Josh and I are both feeling a real sense of urgency. Like the world is in a precarious place. And one of the things that will make the biggest difference is getting people healthy, getting people eating plants, moving the way humans should move, eating the way humans should eat, thinking the way humans should think, that could go a long way towards changing the trajectory we're on right now, which is essentially planetary destruction in the interest of corporate profits. So we partnered with WellStart Health, whose mission is to bring evidence-based, which is to say plant-based nutrition and exercise and resilience and social support and lifestyle medicine to organizations, to corporations, to much larger playgrounds than Josh and I could reach on our own. So we're a startup. We've got a couple of contracts right now, and we're looking to grow. So if you feel alone in your workplace, you're the only one eating plant-based, you're the only one interested in health, in movement, in all the things that we talk about in this podcast. And you have some sway, and you can talk to someone about bringing us in. We'll work with as few as 20 people in an organization to take them through a 12-week program that is specifically designed to reduce the burden of chronic disease. So if you have folks who are suffering from type 2 diabetes, heart disease, obesity, we can, of course, make the argument that healthy employees are going to be happier employees, but we can also make pretty strong return on investment claims, especially for self-insured workplaces, where every dollar that gets spent on diabetes medication gets carved right out of profits, where every employee absenteeism or when employees are at work and they're not feeling well or they're stressed about lab tests and about their health reduces productivity. You see, we've structured WellStart Health to be a win-win-win. We want the employees to win through better health. We want the employer to win through lower cost and greater productivity. And when those two things happen, WellStart Health also wins. You can find out more at wellstarthealth.com or just drop me an email if you'd like to talk. That's hj at plantyourself.com. And let's talk about today's show. Speaking of lifestyle medicine... My guest is Dr. David Donahue, who is a primary care physician in Wilmington, Delaware, and he's one of only, listen to this number, 280 board-certified lifestyle medicine specialists in the United States. That is less than one lifestyle medicine specialist for every million Americans. 
Originally, I wanted to talk with David about his successful and innovative Cure Diabetes program that he's run with his patients over the past year. But we quickly started egging each other on or flax egging each other on for you vegans to describe our pet peeves about the current medical system. And David's not only a doctor, but he's also a computer coder and developer. And this means that he sees the world in terms of systems that can be optimized. And the medical system, in his view, and mine as well, is one giant system optimized to produce pretty much the opposite of health and value for consumers, for patients. As he points out, and you know, people have been saying this for three decades now, the medical system is bloated, ineffective, and unsustainable, and it's got to be reformed or replaced. We talked about medical education and regular K through 12 and college education. And David's comments had me nodding yes so hard that my headphones nearly fell off. So if you are a doctor or know a doctor or go see a doctor or studiously avoid doctors, this is a must listen podcast. David is funny, smart, compassionate and driven to make the world a better place. One quick thing before we jump in, David emailed me after uh, the interview to say that he misspoke about one detail. So I'll give that to you now. So uh, when you come across it, you can make the correction in your mind. David was talking about a drug combination that causes three deaths in every 1000 cases. He accidentally said azithromycin. And actually what he meant to say was Bactrim. So Bactrim plus a certain type of ACE inhibitor leads to three deaths per thousand cases, not azithromycin. So with that, let's jump right into the interview. Dr. David Donahue, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Well, thanks so much, Howard. It's a great pleasure and honor to be here on the podcast. Yeah. So uh, why are you here? Tell us, about, you're, you're a doctor. Most doctors don't make it onto this podcast. What, what do you do? Well, um, I'm a primary care internal medicine physician, So, uh, but I uh, maybe my, my credentials are that I was recently certified in lifestyle medicine as well. So uh, that, that was uh, in the first class of professionals who were certified by the American Board of Lifestyle Medicine. So uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've very much been inspired by um, the mission and the message uh, of lifestyle medicine. And uh, so over the years, I've been trying to transform my practice into something more meaningful and more impactful. Mm. So when I, when I talk, you know, two, two of the types of people that I tend to talk to are people who are really, really sick and overweight and miserable and, and found a plant-based diet. And the other is medical professionals who, who discovered this way. And, and frankly, the, the barriers are higher for doctors, right? Yeah, right. I think to, um, you know, to undo um, maybe years of training. So you know, what, 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 is, what has your trajectory been? So this is a great point, Howard. And, and I have to concur. So looking around um, at, at, sort of the landscape of colleagues in my area, it, it definitely feels like, um, you know, they say it takes 30 years to get a, a bad idea out of medicine. And I would say that's <laughs> probably, you know, we're certainly on, on the same timeline with regard to lifestyle medicine and lifestyle counseling. Yeah. I mean, my, my, I've been a primary care internal medicine physician since 2000. Um, I've, you know, been dealing with adults and all the different kind of problems that they have since that time. Um, but over the years of 
you know, I really like to read books and read the science. So, and, and I've become frustrated. I, I discovered <clears throat> some of the work uh, in the in the field of healthcare delivery science, and uh, books like Overdiagnosed or The Citizen Patient, um, uh, Doctor Norton Hadler, uh, Doctor Gilbert Welch, and and uh, these are some really really interesting science. And as you know. Um, as we peel back uh, and peek at what's really done in medicine and how effective it really is, it turns out that it's far less effective than um, we were taught. And that's an exercise in frustration to, to come, come to awareness of that. But I saw it as a challenge to say, well, what can you do that's impactful for patients? And, uh, and you so, know, I'm delighted to learn that lifestyle medicine offers uh, some, some real impact. Yeah. So how did you first come to this? I mean, were you an iconoclast all throughout and, you know, organic chemistry in college and med school? Or, you know, did you did you have sort of a an epiphany or a chipping away? Um, that's a great question. Uh, I would say that there's there's chipping away. I mean, in, in residency, you get glimmerings that, you, you, you know, by the way, mammograms for women in their 40s is totally useless. Like you have, you have to reconcile that with the fact that we're taught to do mammograms for women in their forties. And, uh, and then, you know, I was familiar with the concept of the number needed to treat, but, um, it takes time to realize, you know, as, as you look at disease after disease, treatment after treatment that we have to offer and you learn, wow, these, these are much less effective than I was, you know, led to believe, or I allowed myself to believe. Um, so over time, um, I realized, you know, the, most of the drugs that we have to offer, most of the screening tests that we have to offer are dramatically overblown in, in the value that they offer to patients, unfortunately. And so the onus was then on me um, to find, find what will work. Um, and, and so I think that we have the, the good news is you, dis, you discover this, this world of science, this nutrition science, um, which as Dr. Greger says, there's 100,000 research articles come out every year in this field. Uh, and, and it offers you know more healing power than I was ever taught about in medical school or residency. Mm. So, so this is something I, I sort of tell people a lot, a lot in conversation, and I still don't really believe it, is that doctors don't receive a lot of training in nutrition. Like I know it's true, but I like I just keep asking doctors if it's true because I some part of me can't believe it. So Howard, what, what, what did you learn? About yeah, nutrition? So, well, okay, so and you know I, I know that. Um, in your book with Garth Davis, he says uh, you only study. We only were taught one hour of nutrition. I think that's a slight exaggeration because um, actually I, I went to Baylor College of Medicine as well. Uh, I was a year behind Garth Davis. I knew him there, and actually I work with Dr. Jayshree Taylor, who also was a year ahead of me at, at Baylor, so she knew Garth pretty well. Um, but uh, it's a little bit more. Like if interspersed in, in biochemistry, there's a little bit. Uh, here and there, and you learn about vitamin C in the stomach and activating nitrosamines. And so there's a little bit. But uh, you, you touched a nerve, Howard, because that, that's, this is one of my soapbox speeches that I, I get on with my patients, and I talk about how we don't study nutrition. And at K through 12, there's almost no nutrition. So I'll, I'll put the question back to you. How much nutrition did you get? Um, I learned about scurvy and beriberi and rickets and pellagra. And did you ever get any of those diseases? No, so it worked. It worked. And, and so I go on to say that, wow, like 10, 20 hours of nutrition, 
you would think there's nothing of value to study or there's no science, but there's 100,000 research articles come out every year in this field, and we just, we don't know about it. We're not going to learn about it. Your doctor doesn't know about it because they have about the same amount of nutrition education as you do. Um, you're, you're, you're not going to hear about it on TV. There's, there's no corporate budget. There's no billions of dollars. And there's no uh, pharma reps that are going to go out to talk to your doctor. So unless you find a way to plug into this stuff, um, then please, uh, we got we got to find our own way to, to learn about it. And it's, it's incredibly important. Then I, I like to go on and pontificate, Howard, to say that what do we study in school? We study 1,800 hours of mathematics. We study the classics. And, and uh, what good are the classics? I mean, so I, I don't want to come across as too negativistic about our education, but I, I think that so many of our cherished subjects are off the beaten path. We're studying the classics while Rome is burning. We have childhood obesity epidemic. We have uh, diabetes epidemic. And, and our answer is to teach kids higher mathematics. So, so in, in uh, medical training, it's not much better. There's no nutrition required. So we, ha we have this pre-medical uh, 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 required courses we have to take. And it includes organic chemistry. It includes physics. It includes calculus. Like, why do we need to study that stuff? How many times a day do you use higher math? Do you use that in information um, taking care of patients? Or how, how often do we, as just consumers, as humans, need to know higher math? We seldom use those skills. Yet research shows that we make 200 food decisions every day, right? And, and we, our, our education fails us in teaching us that, you know, about that information. What, what about um, statistical education? In, in med school, did you learn how to, you know, not just read a study but evaluate it, you know, based on based on power, based on various criteria, the difference between relative and absolute risk? Were, were you versed in that? So that stuff uh, came up um, occasionally. I, I did not get a thorough grounding in that. Um, so you would think, Howard, okay, if we're going to study all that math, give us the important stuff. And I completely agree with you that uh, st statistics is one important course. And that it would be the one course that wasn't really required, that was not really <laughs> emphasized at my particular institution. So I think maybe other institutions emphasize statistics more. But yeah, why all this emphasis on calculus? Like, how often do I calculate the area under a curve? Never, ever. It's a total waste of time. And so my poor kids are always hearing me uh, rail against uh, their current uh, medical education. And the food that's served at school, et cetera. I've proposed, by the way, a curriculum, a K through 12 curriculum that I think would be really cool if uh, if somebody would actually do it. But but uh, yeah, I mean, it's there's so much opportunity. So you had Dr. Michael uh, Clapper on on the program recently, and I yeah. thoroughly support what he wants to do with medical education. It totally needs to be revamped. At a minimum, let's change one of those prerequisite courses in college from I don't know organic chemistry or physical chemistry or physics to a course in nutrition. How about that? That's a radical idea. Mm. Now, it's not, it's not just um, studying nutrition, right? Because, you know, Colin Campbell used to teach courses in nutrition um, that involved, you know, ever, ever more uh, recursive looks at the Krebs cycle. Right. right. So there's a difference between studying the biochemistry of nutrition, which is kind of, you know, detail-oriented and fascinating, and actually studying what kind of human diet tends to lead to positive or negative results? Exactly. Yeah. The less reductionism. And that's, if I would critique traditional medical education, 
Um, the reductionistic approach is is such a, a missed opportunity. I mean, this this notion that you can't study kidney disease until you've learned about the nephron and, and the, the, the micro-level structures, and you can't learn about that until you've learned pathology course, and you can't learn about that until you've done biochemistry. It's, it's, it's madness, Howard. It, that's not how the brain works. The brain wants to drill down from something important and then go discover what it needs to know about the mechanics of it. Mm. So this is, this is kind of a, a bottom-up approach where, where you're, you're sort of getting a tour of every single Lego yeah. right, <clears throat> before you're allowed to build a robot. Right. Yeah, that, that's, that's how they teach um, the, the, traditionally. Now, more recently, there's been this problem-based learning, um, and, and some schools are doing more of it than others, but our school didn't do very much of it. So, and you know, I think one thing that's illustrative, Howard, is the fact that, like in our office, we have three physician assistants who work alongside the doctors, and these guys have only five years of education, including college. Uh, plus or minus, depending on the program, but and and they're effective. I mean, if you train them well, um, which I believe my wife, my partner and wife, does an excellent job, um, they're extremely effective at doing the right thing and and, and being very comprehensive uh, in their care. So I, I think there's so much waste and so much opportunity for us to learn more impactful things in, in our traditional medical education. Uh, which 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 brings me to something else. I suspect might be a soapbox. Of, of yours, um, which is doctors don't seem to learn how to counsel patients to change their behaviors. Yes, you're right. They don't teach. Okay, so a little bit of lip service to, to uh, maybe cog- cognitive behavioral therapy, motivational interviewing, but we don't have a workshop on that. We're, t- we're too busy studying pathophysiology class or pathology class. Um, it's just, yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, and part of the problem is it, it's just not thought of as part of what doctors do. I'm studying now for re, uh, board recertification in internal medicine, Howard, and um, the, the questions are all along the lines of here's a patient with five or six uh, chronic diseases, uh, prediabetes, diabetes, or uh, heart disease, et cetera. And the question is always going to be something like, how are you going to adjust their medicines? Are you going to continue the Plavix for three more months? Are you going to switch to this other drug? And, and, it's, and I want to reach through the paper and, and, and grab the writer of the, of the question and say, I don't want to do any of those things. I want to talk to this poor woman about her diet and, and her exercise. <laughs> so, so, yeah, but that's what we're trained on in internal medicine. And I think similar for family, family medicine as well. We're not trained on uh, lifestyle at all. Um, so this is one reason why I find lifestyle medicine so inspiring. They put that front and center. And I recently have gone through a similar exercise studying for the lifestyle medicine board. And the questions are very you know, similar. They start out similar, but the, the options are, are, are much more impactful. How are we going to reverse this person's disease? So what, what, do, what techniques do you use? Whether, you know, is it um, motivational interviewing, cognitive behavioral therapy? Like what are, what are a, a lifestyle doc's uh, secrets about how to influence people? Because I think yes. as, as a doctor, you have a lot better chance to do it. You know, you have, you have like a little bit of gravity on your side compared to, you know, their friend, their neighbor, their, their hairdresser, their um, accountant. Yeah. And as you know, often their accountant knows more about this stuff than their doctor does. So maybe we shouldn't have that kind of authority, but we do. And, and uh, so what, what do we try to do? I mean, I certainly try to <clears throat> um, set this is concept of smart goals. So you set um, goals that are achievable and, and uh, time delimited and so forth. 
and, and then you try to connect um, their goals with their current state, uh, and then you try to identify uh, the patterns of their life that that are most opportune for uh, modification. We've done this um, program, Howard. One of the exciting things that uh, I've learned from the American College of Lifestyle Medicine is the idea of doing group therapy. And so we started a, a program for reversal of diabetes. We call it Cure Diabetes, and we've been running that for a year. So that's a technique that um, I had never gotten the opportunity to do before, which is getting groups of people together who all have the same condition and all have the same mission, and then walking them through. Our program is a six-week program with a 21-day lifestyle change, and we measure stuff before and after. So I'm a big believer in giving people evidence. We share a lot of science. Um, I, I often, I don't often have enough time to do as much counseling as I'd like to, so I'll, I'll email people a link to a couple videos on nutritionfacts.org that are particularly um, helpful. Um, in many cases, I mean, it's just like some of these videos that you, you see on nutritionfacts.org, you got to see it. Like if you have Crohn's disease, you have got to go and watch these three videos. If you've got multiple sclerosis, please watch this video. If you have painful diabetic neuropathy, these are conditions for which we don't have a great medical answer. So you absolutely should at least watch these videos. So I'll, I'll talk it up. I'll email it to people. Uh, next time I see them, I'll follow up. Did you watch that? Did you make any changes? Do you have any questions? We have a, a, a dietitian. We have a fantastic dietitian at our office who we use as well. Um, and, and so I'll often refer folks to her and, and she gives absolutely the right message. Mm. What is it about the group that you're finding um, powerful or synergistic as opposed to what, you know, the ideal would be you with 45 minutes, one at a time? Why, what, what, what works in groups? Right. Well, it's, uh, for one thing, you can spread your influence uh, farther and wider. And that's definitely, the, that is a frustration when, when you're only 45 minute visits or 30 minutes visits with patients, not to mention that it doesn't really get paid for. And that's a whole another topic. But but group, the group dynamic is powerful. Um, it's so great to uh, hear the experiences of others who are being successful and those who are not. It's like a little mini um, experiment that you're running. Uh, and, and it just makes intuitive sense to people that, to hear when they hear it from someone who's doing it in, in their group uh, and, and the success they're having. Um, they, they help each other get through problems. Uh, it just makes it a lot more real real for people. So in, in our groups, we, we try to let everybody share as much as they can and do do as much of the talking as they can but we we have our uh, we also have to get through our curriculum and our videos and our slide presentation as well mm-hmm. right <clears throat> when people come in are they are they skeptical or do you have a practice that like only the the pre- people who are predisposed to lifestyle medicine would ever find you um, yeah, we get a mix. So we we're come from a traditional internal medicine practice. So we definitely have a, a bunch of people who are just seeing us because we're an in, a, an internal medicine practice in our area who's still accepting patients and hasn't gone concierge yet, which is a big phenomenon. But then we do get a mix of people who have uh, heard the word that that I'm the vegan doctor, and so they want to um, come see the vegan doctor or. Or the, I think our philosophy, our, our, our practice in general, is a little bit more realistic with regard to the, the interventions. Uh, I think that a lot of practices, um, and not to denigrate the important work of, of my colleagues, but oftentimes we do what we're trained to do, and that's a knee-jerk response to every disease is a, is a prescription, and, and that's how we get paid. That's what we get paid to do, so that's our job, and that's what we do. Um, but we, 
we try to, um, yeah, try to treat the underlying cause of the disease first and foremost. I think lifestyle medicine is not anything exotic. People kind of ask, what is it? It's nothing exotic. I mean, the uh, U.S. Preventive Services Task Force has said there's a B-grade recommendation that anyone with cardiovascular risk factors should have intensive behavioral counseling and uh, to, to improve their diet and to improve their um, physical activity. And so and, and that's first and foremost. And that, so that's just what we do. We just do what, what the recommendations are. And we'll use drugs, but we'll use them as a second uh, recourse. Uh-huh. And so do you, do you have like a paper route to pay for your mortgage? Like how do you make a, how do you make a living bucking the, the system? Um, you, you don't make you can you don't make as good a living as you could. Um, but there's enough in the system that you can actually keep a practice afloat. You, there are those who uh, completely buck the system and go direct primary care and just get a monthly fee from every every patient. That way they can um, thumb their nose at the insurers and, and stop bothering with any of that billing process. Uh, and that can work and it can be a, 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 a gateway to a very successful uh, model. But um, the existing payment system does let you uh, do some stuff. It lets you do the group visits. So when I do a group of 20 uh, diabetics um, all at once. I can build 20 visits all at once. There's a lot of preparation up front and there's a lot of documentation and there's a lot of other work, but um, you know, it it does pay for itself. It's not the road to riches. Um, And then, you know, anything we choose to do is, is billable. So if uh, provided I can um, involve other um, passionate uh, collaborators to help with the care of my patients who have the right message, I can let them do some of the counseling. Um, and this is a direction we want to move our practice in is, is with more the use of either health coaches or registered nurses to, to help with that one-on-one and more longer goal setting and walking through cognitive behavioral techniques to achieve these lifestyle changes. So what, what would I see uh, if I sort of fast forwarded one of your uh, six week programs, like, People coming in, what what like what's an average state of the person, and then what what do they learn, what do they do, and what happens at the at the at the other end? Yeah, it's it's interesting because every it's it's hard to speak of an average person because they are they really everybody differs completely. So I have some people with prediabetes, I have people with diabetes, I have people in their thirties, I have people in their eighties. I have people who are skeptical. I have people who have already bought in and made the dietary changes. Um, I have people with rip-roaring uh, hemoglobin A1Cs of uh, – rip-roaring diabetes with hemoglobin A1Cs of like 10 plus. I have people who are barely even insulin resistant who just want to go through the program. Um, so it, it does vary a great deal. Uh, the people who are most successful are those who um, have some support uh, from a loved one or, uh, or a partner of some kind um, or – they're, they're all alone and they have control. The people who are in trouble are those who have a partner who's uh, resistant to it. Um, but then at the end, um, you know, we measure a bunch of information before and after. And uh, we'll see uh, folks who are able to make the changes. They're, we've seen A1Cs drop as much as three or four points in just uh, three months. Um, we've seen um, you know, all sorts of disease processes reverse, people's uh, painful diabetic neuropathy reverse, uh, pain in general. Um, you know, it's, 
it's uh, all sorts of different, you know, blood pressure, just rip, you know, sky high blood pressure coming down to a normal level. So there's been a lot of different kinds of successes we've experienced. It's, it's extremely gratifying. Mm. So what's the moment that you know you've got someone? That we know we've got somebody? Um, <laughs> yeah. It's usually like uh, week two, well, sort of just as week three, just after they've started the diet. And uh, they start reporting how much better they feel. And, and they start reporting, wow, I can do this. And they start reporting, I've already made these changes. Or, and once you've, once you've made that, you know, okay, we got a real hook in with this person. And oftentimes their mind is more open now to some of the other elements. So some of the other things we include in the program. Uh, and I want to thank you and nod to the Plant Yourself podcast. I, I get a lot of good insights. I'm a listener to your podcast, and I'm a great admirer of your work. I get a lot of insights uh, from from this podcast. So one thing that we've taken uh, was the power of purpose. And I'd read elsewhere that the uh, Marine Corps uses uh, this power of purpose to help cadets get through boot camp. Um, so we, we do uh, we construct our core values. We, we uh, construct that we have a workshop on building your ikigai. Um, if, you're, if you're familiar, it's the wisdom of Okinawa. It's it's um, it's your reason for being reason for getting up in the morning. Uh, and then, so we, and we, we, uh, refer back to those things. So we, we have a, a big emphasis on the power of purpose, um, some positive psychology in there. Um, so we, we try to, um, connect people with their core values with, with making this change. And my hypothesis is that if we can, um, if we can do that, then we're going to be much more successful and they're, they're going to tend to stop gravitating back to the unhealthy mm. lifestyle that, that causes their diabetes in the first place. It's funny because I, I spent last night and this morning reading about something called Wise Interventions by a, re a researcher named uh, Gregory Walton. Um, I'm not Gregory, familiar. Oh, it's good stuff. I, I I emailed him last week to be on the podcast. So I'm, I'm hoping he says yes. Um, but it's, you may have seen some of this. I first heard about him through Kelly McGonigal's work on um, the upside of stress. And yes. basically what it was, these wise interventions are these tiny little, very minor seeming things. Like you have somebody write about something for 15 minutes yeah. and then it becomes sort of recursive. So they, they change a little thing that then changes how they interact with their environment in a way that creates this positive loop. Oh, my gosh. I'm writing this down, Howard, because yeah, I'll, I'll send it to you. I got a, I got a PDF of the of the article. That's so great. This is yet another one of your insights that's probably going to work its way into my program. So thank you. For yeah. That. So, yeah. So, I mean, one of them was he was working with um, African-American undergraduates, freshmen at some Ivy League university. And there was a huge gap by year three or by year four in terms of academic achievement. And the assumption was that, you know, th they felt like they didn't really belong. And I don't know about you, but when I got to college, I got a million signals that I didn't really belong, right? I wasn't as smart. I wasn't as rich. I wasn't as socially adept. I wasn't as good looking. I'm look, looking around at all these like Ivy League Adonises going, what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> and, and yet, you know, I, I sort of understood that other people were in the same boat and I kind of worked through it. But the idea was that these African-American students were taking in this, this information that they um, that they didn't you know that they didn't belong that that was their filter and then every time they had a problem that any student would have they attributed it to the fact that they were out of their element 
So, right. so this intervention was like a one-hour thing, and it was a, um, a randomized trial. Half of them got this one-hour intervention where they were told that basically you're going to feel like you don't belong. It's natural. It happens to everyone, and it gets better over time. And it was a one-hour intervention. And right. like three years later, right. the, the, the racial disparity gap in achievement was cut in half right. for this group. Yeah. That, that is so powerful. I read the same book, and, and I'm a great admirer of her work. And she's one of my very favorite authors. Uh, and and it's it's so fascinating, Howard, because we do tell ourselves these narratives, and they can be so defeating. And I see this all the time. It's not just with lifestyle. Sometimes it's with uh, you know orthopedic problems, knee pain, for example. I see so many people who are convinced that they, their knees are shot, and they're never going to run again. Like. Let's talk more about your knee pain. It turns out they have patellofemoral knee pain syndrome. They're like three visits with a physical therapist away from running again, you know, in many uh-huh. cases. And, and these, these narratives can be, uh, can be, they can be wrong. And they often happen when we get medicalized. You go get, um, you get an x-ray and there's some bone spur, there's some abnormality in your spine and you're convinced. And there's actually research on this, uh, Howard, you're probably aware, uh, familiar with it, like randomized research where they take people with back pain, they randomize them to either get the MRI or not, and then they right. follow them uh, for some years later, and the people who didn't get the MRI are less likely to have pain, right? And it's a, it's a similar thing. We have to be very careful of the narratives that we tell ourselves. Right, and, and so, the, I mean, I remember when I got my x-ray for my lower back pain, and they pointed to a thing, right? They said I had a, um, like a L1, it was was a fusion of the sacrum and L5 or something like that. And like for years, that was like a death sentence to to all these things I wanted to do. Yeah. Right? Because I mean, you know, so good, I... I was I was free from responsibility because you know it was, it was spina bifida occulta. Uh, my okay. mother, you know, smoked when I I don't know when I oh, when she was pregnant with me or something. Right. But like you know, so on the one hand, it felt sort of psychologically empowering, but on the other hand, it meant that I had no agency and I and it was a you know it was a destiny. And it took me. It, it's still taking. I still think of that that yeah. X ray. And and feel like it's it's some sort of oracle that I can't quite escape from. Right. No, it's 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 it, you know. And I, I going back to medical education, I remember um, repeatedly concluding that pathophysi- pathophysiology lies. This is my my quote that I said. It lies to us. It tells us these stories about what's what about disease and about how treating certain things are going to make you better. But in the bottom line is, it, in the end, it doesn't. Like, for example, would be arrhythmias. Um, and we learned all about the sodium channels and, and how you can block them with this class of drugs and prevent rhythm, uh, dysrhythmias. But then when they finally did the research on, on these antiarrhythmic drugs, they found that they're killing people. So, so we, we, can, we can be led astray by the wrong impressions. And I think we, as, as a healthcare provider, we, we have a lot of power because people come to us in a vulnerable state. Um, like a, a guy like you, you know, you're, you're, when you're feeling the pain, you're very vulnerable to the expert orthopedist or whoever who's going to tell you, you have this and it's for genetic reasons. And so therefore you're stuck. Now, I mean, I think a lot of people need to uh, unlearn, as you say, unlearn a lot of the things that they've been taught. So how popular are you with other doctors? Like, do you go to the parties and the the golf course? <laughs> I'm not a golfer, Howard. Uh, 
that would take too much time. I think I would be my wife would file divorce papers if I went out golfing. Um, I have been making a nuisance of myself, Howard, in, in our area. So um, I, I keep standing up at uh, meetings of doctors and, and saying, hey, you know, um, you're talking about cost reduction associated with all the chronic diseases. Are, are you aware that there's this field of lifestyle medicine or that these diseases can be reversible? And I'm always waving, raising my hand and they have a big initiative for diabetes at a local health system and a local hospital. I say, you know, diabetes is a reversible disease. Um, why don't we target that? And, and you know, so I, I keep trying to chip away. I gave a talk uh, at a, a primary care academy that was somewhat blasphemous, but um, huh. but I, it wasn't. Uh, I don't I don't think I ruffled too many feathers. People are kind of like it, it rolls off their back. They're they're not too bothered by me. I, I guess I got to <laughs> keep pe- pestering until they say if if you're a surgeon, you're not taking out any normal appendices you don't you're not doing enough appendectomies i guess if i'm a lifestyle doc and i'm not annoying people then i'm probably not um talking loud enough (laughs) so i'm wondering if at some point if one of these doctors is going to like sneak in to through the back door to to your practice as a patient like that thing about reversing diabetes like i mean do you talk to the doctors like are they on all these meds themselves um I think they are. Um, yeah, I mean, I know they are. But um, yeah, like, I'll talk to the doctors. I was recently at a holiday party, uh, Howard, um, and uh, at the Department of Internal Medicine. And uh, you, you would not believe the food that was being fed, Howard. Um, they, they, they had, um, they, they had a two sausage tables. They had a roast beef table. They had a chicken table. They had a fish table. They had like a pork something table. They had a bacon table with chocolate dipped bacon and a woman walking around with a sword with pork chop with uh, lamb chops. Uh, this was department of internal medicine, um, recent holiday gift. And, and I'm grateful to the many wonderful uh, practitioners in my area. And I have a great deal of respect for them, but um, they know that we're the plant-based office and we have, uh, when they come and visit us, we ask them to bring a vegan lunch. Um, but they sent us um, Omaha steaks. Yeah. So, as Dr. Williams uh, says, uh, Dr. Kim Williams says, the num- number one cause of death of cardiologists is heart disease. And so, it, you know, I guess it's no surprise. We don't have any particularly great insights in how to prevent our leading killer among uh, the, the established, um, you know, medical profession. So you, um, you weren't always a medical professional. Right. You, you, your background was in, in coding and, and IT development. Well, yeah. So um, I had a 15 year career uh, full time in um, software development that ended uh, almost two years ago because um, I wanted to move away from Never Neverland and actually get to my full career. I was I was primary care for the, all that time, but I was a little bit less than full time. Um, so that's just sort of. a. Uh, so that's kind of uh, weird. Yeah, <laughs> it's weird. I mean. I, mean, <laughs> I never know how to discuss this, Howard. I mean, uh, it's uh, it was I, I enjoy coding. I'm a systems thinker, Howard, and that's I love, that's kind of where I was hoping to lead us. Okay, and um, I love uh, thinking about systems. And Howard, imagine if you had the skill set to code, and you're a systems thinker, and you're struggling in primary care um, in, in this era where we have so many chronic diseases and the wrong message is getting out there. Uh, it's like a call to action every single day. Like every single hour is a new call to action, like struggling with the electronic health record system. And these systems are designed, by the way, 
for as really their billing systems. They're designed. The customer is the is the doctor's office, uh, and, and they're designed for the doctor to um, document stuff and and just so that you can comply with government regulations or with the insurance company's requirements, and then you can bill for it. So it's it's all. All this electronic health record keeping is really so that we can bill for our fee-for-service activity. I shouldn't say all of it, but the, the vast majority. So, I, I, yeah, I want to design. Do I want to design my own system that that um, is designed for actual health and 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 that kind of thing? Absolutely, yes. Mm. And and uh, you know, I, I'm not that familiar with the uh, with the medical records and all the software that supports that. But it seems like as as a systems thinker you're you're looking at patient interactions in that same way so you're not so you you're you can't just look at like the the boards you're taking for internal medicine around you know they're on five medicaid you know they have five diagnoses how long do i do the plavix for without looking at the wider system right of of behavior of lifestyle right uh, right yeah so what i what i want to do is yeah exactly is is it's a combination of tracking I think the patient should be more in charge of their health information and be able to be directly contributing. Um, I kind of imagine a system like Facebook where you're able to enter in information and you can share that with different doctors according to your your needs. Um, so we, we absolutely need to move in that direction. And the system needs to automatically monitor for patterns that it can recognize. And, and then this whole concept of the checklist manifesto, Dr. Atul Gawande Maybe you've read that book, but yeah. there's been a number of books in, in this genre. But basically, we we need medicine to to function more like the aviation industry, or more like any any industry that's uh, that that's standardized and that reduces uh, errors. And as you, as you are probably I'm 100% sure you're aware that um, by some estimates, the, the medical error is the number three cause of death in our country. So we absolutely have to fix our systems. Right. I, I got rejected by the author from a podcast interview by the author of uh, Black Box Thinking. Oh, OK. Uh, Matthew Syed, who like the, the, the idea is that aviation has a black box. And yeah. when, whenever there's a problem from a crash to the slightest little thing, yes. they get teams of researchers like looking at every piece of evidence, every bit of data to, yeah. to figure out what happened and to, to design a system so it doesn't happen again right. and c contrasting that to medicine where if there is, if there is a problem, nobody wants to touch it for, for fear of liability. Right. So another concept is they have the pre-flight checklist. And one thing that I want to put out is a pre-medication checklist. So before you mm -hmm. start a new drug or before you go through a, a surgery, you go through a checklist to say, is this the right surgery for me? And, and you, you, you double check on the safety. Right. You look for drug interactions. You look for disease conditions. There's a lot of things that people aren't aware of. Like, for example, if you get sick and you're about to take a Z-Pak, um, if you're already on an ACE inhibitor, then you face a I think it's a three in a thousand risk of death in the next week. Just from it's thought to be from elevation in potassium and causing your heart to stop. Um, but there's a lot of these kind of drug interactions. Or if you have gout, um, people, the standard medical answer to gout is um, well, allopurinol, we're going to give you allopurinol to lower your uric acid. But if somebody comes to me with gout, I'll tell them, and I'd like the checklist to work this way too, is it would say, hey, wait a minute, um, allopurinol is the number one cause of Stevens-Johnson syndrome, which is a horrible um, uh, uh, condition where your skin dies and you die. 
Um, maybe we should try something alternative. Gout, by the way, is a royal disease. You get it when you eat royal food. It's 100% preventable if we just uh, unplug from, from that lifestyle. Would you rather try some sensible lifestyle changes? You know, let the person check the box, yes, no, and then um, go from there. But I think you would, you would reduce the amount of times that we put people through these kind of procedures. Right. And, it's, and, we, and when you hear you talk about it like that, it almost, it almost feels like not doing it is malpractice. I, yeah, I mean, I've had my wrist slapped for using the word, the M word in, in a medical setting, um, malpractice. But um, you've, yes, uh, I mean, arguably, I think I used it in conjunction with lifelong um, people with MS never being told about diet, you know, to, to live your whole life with that debilitating disease and never, never learn once that there's some research evidence that you might be able to reverse it. With, with a healthy diet. Uh, I, think, I think we need to head in that direction and we need to build the system that, that will do, uh, do that and prevent our malpractice, yes. So what have you learned from doing, how, how many of the, um, the diabetes, uh, Cure Diabetes programs have you run? Uh, we've had eight cohorts through, eight. 10 to 20 people each. Gotcha. What, what, what have you learned from, from number one through number eight that you're going to apply to number nine? Um, yeah, um, I've great question. Wow. What have we learned? We've learned that, um, diabetes is in fact reversible. We've learned that, um, that the partner is a key element and one of the most key, uh, uh markers for success is, is, and it's to the point where we, we now strongly encourage everyone to bring their partner to each visit. Um, we've learned, uh, that we have to be a little careful with the message. We have to be very careful with the message, but we, it's not good enough to just go vegan. You know, we really need to, um, to, to reduce the fat and the oil and, and the calories and the sugars. And so a lot of people just switch to veggie burgers and think uh, everything's going to be fine. Um, We've learned um, some tests that work and some tests that don't work. Um, C-reactive proteins just bounce around way too much, so I don't test those. Um, I've had more success testing HOMA IR score, uh, calculating the HOMA IR score from the fasting insulin and fasting glucose, and I, that's been a useful tool. So we've learned that that uh, works well. Um, as far as exercise, we're really trying to push people toward um, toward a personal trainer. Um, one thing we've learned is that uh, in week four, we have the dreaded week four. It's what I call moral support. And the people who attend week four are much more successful. And what that is, is uh, I have 36 minutes of carefully selected video that try to connect people to the global implications of uh, animal agriculture. And so, uh, Mm. yeah, thus further trying to cement their conviction to make these lifestyle changes. But I, I do find that when people see that, and I, and part of that, I've shown a 12-minute video called Farm to Fridge from um, Mercy for Animals, which is quite graphic. So that was like radical um, stuff. And I, I, last group, I, I learned that that was too graphic for people. So last group, I, I instead put a, a different trailer um, from a, a documentary I'm excited about coming out in 2018 called Dominion. Um, has a great four minute trailer. Um, but overall we've learned that, um, uh, that, the, that a key message is, um, to, 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 we have to keep people at, uh, participating 
And so I've learned that you can't come out a little too harsh uh, and too f- firm. So we, we really try to um, make it clear that there's different avenues to, to success. It's not like this is the one avenue. We hold up the whole food plant-based diet. as the, I want to give people a clear picture of what, what the ideal diet looks like if, if you really want to do this Herculean task of reversing diabetes. But there's many ways to get there, and any, direct, any amount of movement um, really helps. And I've also learned that by far the most uh, valuable thing that we've included in our program is um, cooking demonstrations. Mm. Yeah. So, um, so I was going to ask you about, you know, they said veggie burgers are not going to get you there if you just, if you just go vegan and, and keep the same sort of pattern. So how do you help people or talk to people about transitioning, right? Cause like, obviously if you come in and say, you've got to go a hundred percent on day one, and it sounds like they don't even change their diet until week three, right? Yeah. It's, um, it's like day 10, like, uh, week one, we, um, it's just introductions and I talk about uh, the cause of diabetes and how lifestyle is important. Week two, we get into, here's what we're going to recommend you do. And here's, here's, here's what's in here. And here's what we recommend you don't eat. And I do, we do recommend a big change that you hit on day, uh, on day 10. And that lasts for 21 days. Um, we say you can do it however you want. And if, and, and you can make that start date slide and you could, ease into it if you want, but this is the ideal. So, uh, we, we recommend the complete, uh, dietary change. Um, we give them a lot of recipes. Um, I work with Karen Smith, who's a registered dietitian. She's really talented at food preparation. So she does some cooking demos, which by far get the highest rating in our program. Um, and, uh, and then there's the group support and, and we have people bring in recipes and share recipes. So a food, food is key. And, and we, we show some v- cooking videos and, and um, and we have the workshop in week three where we, we get hands on and make um, overnight oats and we make um, and Karen makes a three ingredient uh, chili that's just delicious. It takes like two minutes to make. Um, so we just show how easy it is, how powerful it is. Um, and, 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 and we show them it's doable. And, and one of the things we really hear is, wow, that was, this is easier than I thought. This is tastier than I thought. I thought I was going to be like chewing on my own uh, bicep. But no, it's. Uh, this is, this is really good stuff and I feel great. So oftentimes it's, I have to tell you, Howard, it's, it's really inspiring to run these kind of programs. And I hope if, if anyone listening is inspired to create their own program, um, diabetes is probably the lowest hanging fruit. It's, it's, uh, for many reasons. And if anybody wants to collab, I'm happy to help, um, help them along if I can. Right. Well, that's what I was just, what I was thinking is I'm like furiously typing your mess, you know, your, what you, what you learned. Um, you know, I take notes just so I can I can write up the show notes afterwards. But I like I accelerate because like, oh, this is really good. I got to remember this because you know I'm 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 involved in in various coaching programs and uh, and disease reversal. And I'm thinking like, you know, there's a hundred thousand articles on nutrition published every year, but there's a ton of information in you know about how we actually get people to change and maintain that change and be successful. And it's like it's hidden under rocks everywhere, right? You know, like like your your little nuggets of experience. Like we learned this. I tried this. It didn't work. We went too fast here. We were we harshed on on you know something here, and then we we kind of mellowed out and didn't start. Like all that stuff. Really, there needs to be some sort of of uh, wiki on, on yeah. plant based lifestyle medicine behavior change, so that we can all. You know, so rather than me starting a program and making all the same mistakes and 
if I'm lucky, catching half of them, you know, starting with, with you as, as a head start. I love I love that idea, Howard. I'm I'm not grateful for yet another call to action, but but yeah. I agree that needs to happen. That's a great idea, a wiki or a forum of some kind. Well, you know, yeah, somebody else who's listening <laughs> can set exactly. that up. Hey, I, 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 maybe you know a nice a good coder who can who can or a developer who can throw together. Uh, yeah, they they don't come cheap those coders, but I do know a few. <laughs> Well, it's, uh, it's 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 probably cheaper than the healthcare system we have now. Yeah, don't yeah, don't get me started on on that topic, Howard. It's a frustration <laughs> um, that where we put our money. I mean, there's so much opportunity for us to realign the as again as a systems thinker um, to realign how we how we finance things and 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 how we. Um, incentivize the providers and then the training. So the good news is, Howard, that there's so much opportunity that I think we're definitely going to see improvements over the coming decades. I don't think it'll come as quickly as most of us would like it to. And the other good news is that there's a lot of opportunity for those of us who who do have the skills and the knowledge and the desire to reverse chronic disease. We will be in business for a very long time. But like Dr. Michael Clapper, I want to say, I would love to put myself out of business. Right. Then we then we could uh, we could start an ultimate frisbee league. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. I, I hope we get to meet on the field someday. That would be awesome. So, as as a systems thinker, do you look at the current system and say, "Here are the points at which the system could inflect"? Where, like you know, obviously, for example, it's going to be hard to change um, the way medicine is practiced for for companies that are insured by insurance companies, but self insured companies. Have have more of you know an aligned um, you know outcome with you know they'll they'll do better financially if their employees are on fewer drugs. When you look at the whole system, do you see places where we can push more effectively than others? That's a great question, Howard. I mean, we've been saying for decades that this is it's it's unsustainable and it's got to change and it will change. Um, and, and now we seem to say the same thing, but just maybe at a higher octave that we say the same message. Um, (laughs) I, I, I can't imagine, I think, um, there's some game changers out there. I would say one game changer is nutritionfacts.org. I'm a huge fan of Dr. Michael Greger and what he is able to accomplish on a, on a day, a week to week basis. is just amazing that, that this guy exists. I mean, how could he possibly exist? How could he pump out? so much and uh, so many videos of so much value how could he master all that science so i, I personally am in awe of what he's doing you mean the, and, the gregor the gregor quintuplets what's the quintuplets right there must be five of him oh right right yeah at least and he says there's 20 he's 19 other people that's probably all him or maybe he's f- figured out some way to create clones of himself um, but what he's yeah so I, I share that website to other health professionals and um, I, I share it like I'm, I'm giving them this gift. And I say, have you, you've not been to nutritionfacts.org? Oh, my goodness. It is my pleasure to give you this information. Because and, and, I, I think it's just it's so game-changing. So I, I feel like that kind of information, um, some of these documentaries are getting um, a, a lot of momentum. Um, so are we building momentum? I, I sure hope so. Right now there's 280 professionals who are board certified by the American Board of Lifestyle Medicine, that's one per million Americans. Um, not, not that we're the only one practicing lifestyle medicine, but, 
I, th- I think we have a, a, lot, a lot of way to go, a lot of ways to go. It's, it's going to be many years before we start teaching nutrition and, and lifestyle science K through 12. So, um, uh, when, when do we get the inflection and how, how do we make it happen? Beyond what what Dr. Greger is doing, what you're doing with this fantastic podcast, um, and and the other wonderful luminaries of the field whose work I admire so much, I'm not sure what else. If you come up with the idea, let me know. Well, so one th- one thing I think about is like is is the medical profession kind of an insular cult, or is there like they they claim to be sort of evidence based, and like you know you show show me a study. Like, is there a study or a vein of studies that could be done to certain clinical standards? They probably have to be pretty reductionist. But, you know, some, some line of research, like you've got nutritionfacts.org, and you say, look at this website. Is, if, you know, can you imagine a bunch of studies that we could start, you know, doing that you could then, you know, have a stack of them and hand them to your colleagues and say, just read these? Yeah, I mean... Well, there was a study done um, just in December 2017 um, out of the uh, UK, uh, Dr. Uh, Roy Taylor's lab. And he, he uh, this is on the topic of reversing diabetes. This is a primary care setting. Um, he randomized patients to either intensive uh, dietary intervention, which is calorie reduction, or normal counseling. And he was able to show um, a, a significant reduction uh, in diabetes. 46% uh, of the diabetics were able to be completely diabetes-free and completely off their medicines at, at, uh, at one year um, versus only 4% of the control. So I think you can hold up research like that and say, look, this is randomized. Um, it's a controlled trial. Um, and through this lifestyle change, uh, he was able to sustain diabetes reversal at one year. Um, so I think basically more work like that mm. I, I got a figure would win over hearts and minds uh, that doesn't that doesn't sound that expensive yeah i don't know that what do- it, what it cost him but yeah i mean it, it should be doable and plus well it saved money in the end right um, right right but, but i mean just 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 in terms of a study like you think about like you know the the you know, the problem with uh, with studies is that they're mostly funded by the pharmaceutical industry, right? Which which means if you want to go hire, you know, a company to do your statistics, to do your to do your recruitment, they're used to charging stupid money, right? They're used to Merck and Pfizer not care, like paying millions, so right. they they you know all the costs are inflated because the the biggest player in the market has you know more more money than God. And, <laughs> right. So, you know, so, uh, is, is there room for sort of, you know, grassroots, crowdsourced, like, like, have you submitted any of your stuff for, for peer review or, yeah. um, the whole thing, my, my whole program started as a research project and I was co- collaborating with a guy who did a 21 day intervention, um, named Richard Bloomer down in university of Memphis. And I, I intend to publish at some point, um, but but it's hard because I don't have a research budget, and so um, I don't have a research coordinator. So it's it's whenever I get some few hours on the weekend to to update my spreadsheet with um, with data with lab data that I can go and collect in our electronic health record. So I will publish at some point. Will my publication be the straw that breaks the camel's back and we suddenly uh, have this revolution? I, I I I don't know. I mean, going back to cost. 
Um, you know, there's, there are health systems that are showing a significant reduction in cost. Like, I don't know if you've heard of Iora Health, but they yeah. are a lifestyle medicine, um, I-O-R-A, I think it's spelled, Iora Health. They're a lifestyle medicine practice that's had uh, a number of different clinics throughout the country, and they really do it right. So they do, it's kind of a lifestyle medicine dream practice where you, everybody is assigned a, life, a health coach, and they, they do all those t- coaching techniques uh, and the coach spends a lot of time with you each visit, and, and they do a lot of stuff remotely without having you to come in every single time because that's how the system gets paid. Um, they, they have different kind of contracts. They have different financing, and they have been able to show a 30% reduction in cost. So I, I, I kind of figure if the revolution is going to come, it's going to be driven by payers and insurers realizing I'm only going through Iora Health or a similar kind of practice from now on. Mm. Yeah, so uh... – I guess the the fact that it's unsustainable, yeah, that's um, mean, just, means that that there's a uh, there's a logic of the marketplace that at some point is gonna is gonna overcome the dogma. Exactly, that's it's got to win. The almighty dollar will will drive us to do the right thing. We hope, right? right well, <laughs> I'm I'm gonna take a deep breath and try to not say anything cynical. <laughs> right. So. Cool. Anything else uh, coming up for you in 2018? Any new new things you're working on? Yeah, um, we're uh, developing uh, in collaboration with Karen Smith, our dietitian, uh, a neat program, a monthly program. So we had this weekly program. And then after our program, people were saying, well, what's next? And we didn't have anything real official. So we're going to do this monthly program with a rolling admission um, where anybody and with the goal of sort of reversing disease of any kind, whether it's hypertension, et cetera. So sort of a broader um, clientele. Uh, it would cater to our um, alumni of our cure diabetes program. I was thinking about opening it to the public and maybe even doing a meetup to try to drive people in. I mean, there's so many people with these diseases. I just want to get the message out to them, Howard. And I'm trying to figure out different ways of, of doing that. I'm going to speak at um, a, a local church and I'm going to give a grand rounds in January. So I'm going to be doing more speaking locally and I just want to get, get the message out. I, we're going to start this new program and beyond that, I'm open to suggestion. Oh, and let me mention if I could, we'd like to, if there's anyone in, inspired who wants to work with us, we, we, we want to expand. I mean, there's an unlimited supply of people who want to come and see us. Um, in, in our market, there's just an undersupply of primary care in general. Um, so if anybody wants to contact me and, uh, and what's your market, uh, we're in Wilmington, Delaware. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Which is, cool. so yeah. What, what sort of people are you looking for? Yeah. We're, um, providers. Um, so nurse practitioners, physician assistants, we're pr- physicians of any kind who are interested in, in lifestyle medicine, want to practice. Um, and then, uh, we're hiring some registered nurses and, uh, we have not yet tried, uh, health coaches, but I'd like to hire, um, a health coach or wellness coach if we could find the right person who could do kind of what Iora health is doing. Um, so kind of at any level, we're open to hiring the right person. We've got a really good group and I want to keep it with a, just a really good, uh, knowledgeable and passionate group of people. Awesome. How do they get in touch with you? Well, people can, um, email me, at drdonahue at gmail.com. That's drdonahue at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at WellDrDave. And um, also we have a, a website, uh, new website, progressivehealthproject.com. So my practice is called Progressive Health of Delaware. 
but we have progressivehealthproject.com. Progressivehealthproject.com. And I'll include links to the show notes. And Well Dr. Dave is again DR, W E L L D R D A V E. Yes. Cool. So I hope I hope people, you know, the right people flock to you. Um, one of the things that I would like to work on over the next five years is develop a coach training and coach certification for evidence-based lifestyle medicine. Because a lot there's a lot of great coaches out there who have unfortunately, um, you know, gone through places like you know IIN Institute for Integrative Nutrition, and they come out knowing how to coach and and having no idea what the truth is that they should be coaching on. Right. Um, right. So to uh, you know, as as um, you know, Josh Lajani and I do a lot of coaching in our programs. Yeah. We we need to find other coaches who can do what we do in order to scale. So I would love to, I would love to be part of some, some initiative to train you know enough, enough health coaches to serve those two hundred eighty million Americans who I, could use it. I love it. That could be part of that whole wiki project that you mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> Wiki coaching. Cool. Yeah. Well, David, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. I took a lot of notes that are going to be useful to me. Um, I'm going to check out the, uh, the Roy Taylor study and, uh, and a yeah, bunch it's of called other the things. direct called the direct trial. D I R E C T. And it just came out this month. You said, yeah. Yep. Direct trial. Okay. I'll find a, I'll find a link to that in the show notes as well. And uh, in the meantime, it was, it was wonderful to hear that, uh, that, some of the people I've had on this show have been helpful to you. And I would love to, you know, to, to keep having the conversation going back and forth so that, uh, you know, that I, I can learn from you and that everyone else who's listening from this is also going to oh gain gosh. insights. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the insights are to me are amazing, Howard. The, it's almost every week um, it is, is yet another great insight that, and another great book that I want to go and read. Um, so you're, your reading list is awesome, and the guests you have are really strong. And and Karen is a is a fan too. So both of us um, are are listeners, eager listeners. We incorporate a lot of the stuff we learn from you and from your guests and, uh, into into our program. I just think there's so much valuable information for um, for people for their own lives, but even for people who are healthcare professionals who want want to you know, transfer some of this, this knowledge to the benefit of their clients and their patients. So, so, so great. let me say many thanks for the wonderful work that you do, Howard. Well, thank you. I, honestly, I've, I've never really thought about that, that this could have value for, uh, for professionals in their, in their professional capacity. So oh I'm going to so, so, have warm fuzzies for all, for a week now. Oh, you should, you should every day. If, if I apologize that I have been remiss in, in not giving you that feedback because it is, it is wonderful uh, stuff there. That we're, I'm getting new insights every week from you. So thank you. Well, and right back at you. I hope you enjoy this episode when you're, when you're listening, David. Okay. <laughs> Future okay. David and Karen. Um, so, yeah, thanks so much. This has been, this has been so interesting, and I'm so – I'm so happy that you are one of 280 and that next year might be 560 and that it will, it will keep snowballing until this becomes the norm and, and the way the, the current norm becomes like, you know, bloodletting, something that, that, <laughs> that recedes into the, the recesses of medical history. Exactly. That day will come. We both know it. So I agree. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much and be well. Thank you, Howard. Take care. Bye now. 
If you enjoyed this episode of the Plant Yourself podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. For more information about the Big Change Program led by me and Josh Lajani, visit BigChangeProgram.com. For more information about WellStart Health and our organizational interventions, visit WellStartHealth.com. And be sure to check out the show notes for today's episode with links to everything we talked about at PlantYourself.com slash 255. There's a lot of PDFs, of links to studies. This was a very, uh, you know, egg-heady conversation, and you can find references for the things we talked about so that you know we're not just pulling things out of our butts. If you're new to the show, you can catch up on 254 archived episodes over at plantyourself.com. And if you get the podcast, but not my weekly-ish newsletter, you can also get that, The Big Change Bulldog. And by the way, you can also get my report, Cheat Day Blues, which is empowering alternatives to the idea of a cheat day at plantyourself.com slash cheat day, one word. In garden news, we finally have some. We started a whole bunch of seeds indoors under grow lights. In doing a little bit of research, I discovered that your basic $20 shop light, like fluorescent shop lights, two, two feet, three feet long, are pretty much just as good as the really, really expensive, fancy garden grow lights. They've worked very well for us. So we just got a piece of industrial shelving from Costco, hooked up the uh, the fluorescent shop lights and put in the starter trays. And hopefully within a few days, I'll have something to uh, to show you on Instagram. In running news, I had my first good run on Sunday. It was 12 miles. I felt just as strong at the end as the, at the beginning. So I'm looking forward to getting more into it and hopefully doing a good showing, maybe even sub four hour at the Tobacco Road Marathon in Raleigh in North Carolina in March. So thanks to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willridenauer.com. And thanks to all you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Got a new one this week, so here we go. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Mauro, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Burns, Christine Dilson, Tina Sharp, Tina Aaron, John Viklanovsky, Jen Vilkanovsky, David Bizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elizabeth Feldman, Victoria Dolman, Obelia Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Andrew, Josina, Julianne Rollins, Stu Dolnick, Sarah Durkis, Ron Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Leanne Peterson, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franzek, Jeanette Bellum, Gil, Sarah David, Donna Hubler, Cyber, Durona, Visa, Gio, and Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesner, Ruth Ann Funderburg, Misha Rose, Michael Warbeck. The equally mysterious Tracy Z, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lineman, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Dick Harper, Stephanie Halsmith, Martha Bergner, Nicole Ramsey, Susan Ahmad, Molly Levine, the inscrutable Harry R. Susan Laverty, the Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Sharp, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Ashley Corker, and Haley Machia, Deanne Norton, Bonnie Lynch, and Plant Happy Oregon, Sabine Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Shell Ridlett, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Brian Sheridan, Shannon Hurstman, Kate Roseland, Ayat Julie Lang, Home Hedegaard, Isla Tuzin, Wakani Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis. <gasps> Aviva Lael, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olakowski of Plant Powered for Health, Karen Smith, Kosh, Scott Mirani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, and Kevin McCauley for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for this week. As always, be well, my friends. Mm-hmm.